Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. So glad you've joined us. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. A lot of things to talk about today. Argentina put a a ban on, they suspended their beef exports. Why and what impact could that have? We'll talk about that with uh, the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We are waiting for final decision by EPA on the RVO levels under the RFS for this year and next. And some reports are out there saying they'll be kept right where they're at. We'll get reaction to that from Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board. The markets that have been humming along since last August now have cooled off uh, quite a bit. Is the rally over or just taking a breather? We'll talk with Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Lots to talk about today. Joining us first of all, though, is DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, thanks for joining us. Yeah, things were going so well pretty much across the board. Not everything in agriculture, but in many areas, you know, grain prices have been higher. The hog market have been doing pretty good. Now, all of a sudden, you've got the the markets cooling off. You've got the concerns, growing concerns have been going on for some time about the cattle market. There's been a court ruling that some say could hurt small pork producers when it comes to line speeds at packing plants all of a sudden we've hit some choppy water here yeah you know mike i think it's uh you know while you're right i do think that as you know we've seen this uh time and time before we have the ups and downs a lot but uh you're right i mean ag has been on quite a roll and um i suspect it's probably going to continue on to some degree but you're right i mean i think when you when you look at commodity prices, when you look at all the things that have been going so well this early in this year, um, anything that happens along the way, you start to wonder if the bubble's sort of breaking or whatever. And I think, uh, you know, there's some of that out there, but I, I do think that by and large things are still going pretty well. And I don't think that, you know, a, a, a little blip on the radar here or there is really going to change the, you know, the current momentum we've got going. And hopefully it is just a, a blip on the radar. We will, Time will tell. But these are issues yeah. that we'll be discussing and watching closely. Wanted to get a, an update from you. You've been keeping us uh, up to date yeah. on that situation with the ethanol plant in Meade, Nebraska. Uh, what's the latest on that? Yeah, Mike, well, you know, it's interesting because uh, the residents in Meade, you know, it's a very small town. It's about 600 people uh, just north of Lincoln, which is in southeast Nebraska. Um, we've seen a lot of quietness coming from uh, the plant itself and uh, the seed companies. Uh, We've got a number of seed companies we believe are involved out there in a cleanup. Uh, The state's not really saying much about it uh, from what we can tell from different communications the state has had with seed companies. It appears that at this point, seed companies have basically taken over uh, the area and they're trying to get a handle on it. Um, You know, they still have a number of problems. They've had a main sewage pipe that broke again. Uh, they've got water that's standing on the property yet in lagoons that's uh, uh, filled with pesticides and fungicides. Uh, it's quite a mess out there, and I know a lot of residents in need have, have really uh, kind of been left in the dark on this. And I, I think, uh, you know, we're continuing to follow it and see what we can get, you know, in terms of 
details, but it's uh, it's a situation that's probably going to take some time to resolve, and uh, we really don't know, honestly, entirely who's in charge out there and, and what the end result might be. All right, so we'll count on you to keep us up to date on that. Meanwhile, Dicamba's back in the news again. Right, yeah, we had an Office of Inspector General report that was released yesterday, uh, you know, finding, you know, basically discovering that a lot of senior EPA officials had what they say deliberately mishandled uh, 2018 registration decision on three dicambas, uh, Pexapan, Extendamax, and, and Genia. Um, you know, I guess in some ways it's not entirely surprising. Uh, you know, administrations change, philosophies change. But uh, this report that came out yesterday really raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, you know, wondering if the agency's really sticking to its guns and how it registers some of these products and, you know, the oversight of the products. And this is one that, you know, we've seen Dicamba uh, inflict a lot of damage in the countryside. And uh, so there's a lot out there still. You know, states are still trying to find ways of, of reducing the, the risk and those sorts of things. And to hear that the EPA uh, may have let politics get in the way was really quite concerning and uh Hopefully, this means uh, we're going to see some changes on that front. And other farmers are concerned about losing that product because they they yeah. count on it, and it's an it's an important tool for them. So uh, a lot of people watching this very very closely. We'll wait and see. Uh, what's the latest yeah. on the uh, Dakota pipeline project? Well, yeah, Mike. You know this thing has been. Uh, in the court system for quite a while now. We've had a lot of back and forth at the appeals level, at the district court level. Uh, There's a district court in the District of Columbia uh, just last week that decided they were going to allow the pipeline to remain open. And what we've seen there is an easement uh, has, the, the project itself has not had an easement. And so uh, we're at a point now where the, uh, the Corps of Engineers is really looking at this, doing an environmental review again of, of the pipeline. And that could take some time, but the good news uh, for farmers in the Dakotas, at least, is that the pipeline will remain open. You know, this is a very important uh, important uh, situation for, for ag producers. They need that pipeline open. We need the flow of products and so on and so forth. And so uh, we'll keep watching it. But it's, uh, for the meantime, uh, it's kind of the status quo. Meanwhile, the Keystone XL pipeline project remains shut down, and I'm not hearing about yeah. uh, those workers finding jobs that they, they were promised would be out there for them. Yeah, that's a good point, Mike. You know, there were there were thousands of construction jobs and, and other jobs related to that pipeline, and I think uh, you're right. It's, it's kind of an eerie silence so far uh, in terms of what's going to happen with that situation, whether, you know, there's any chance at all of that pipeline getting finished. Um it's really tough to say at this point. I mean, when you shut down operations, it kind of, you know, everybody has to scatter around and look for jobs and uh, somewhere else to go. And so we'll just, I guess we just keep watching it. Wow. So there is indeed a, a lot going on. I mentioned the uh, the court ruling basically uh, on the line speeds of packing plants and the National Pork Producers Council saying this could cost, this ruling could cost small producers especially uh, income and that's a concern. We'll we'll talk more about it on tomorrow's program. But that's another issue. That whole the the line yeah. speeds and and worker safety in these packing plants. That's a huge issue. It really is, Mike. You know, and we saw with the pandemic, uh, you know, the disruption in supply and those sorts of things. And 
uh, we saw a lot of a lot of uh, meatpacking workers get sick from the virus, and there's just a lot of disruption in that entire part of our industry. And I think, uh, you know, I think it, we continue to watch this, but I, I do think that at some point uh, the line speeds issue is probably going to have to come to some conclusion. You know, there's a lot of companies out there that say they're able to, to speed things up safely, and you know, it would need more in production and that sort of thing. So. Another huge issue. More on that coming on tomorrow's program. Todd, thanks for keeping us up to date on these topics. We appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Nadley. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyday DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. 
They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Argentina has suspended most of their beef exports, saying they want to bolster their domestic supplies. Is this good news or not for U.S. producers? Here to talk about that is Erin Bohr. She is economist for U.S. Meat Export Federation. Erin, thanks for joining us. Good news, bad news. What impact do you think this move by Argentina would ha- will have on beef producers here in the U.S. and our exports? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, well, it's a it's a sad day in my mind. So we hate to see governments intervening in anyone's markets, and that's my top line takeaway. Um, I've been in Argentina a few times, and when visiting, um, saw firsthand the kind of cap that producers had on their willingness to expand the herd because there's kind of this concern that the government's going to intervene in the markets again. And so we were there in November 2019, most recently, and even at that time there was concern um, or maybe even almost an exception that the government was going to intervene in the markets at some point. So uh, I just really hate to see it. And in fact, we we compete with Argentina a little bit maybe, and those would be in – their main markets. So in China, I would say we operate on a completely separate level than Argentina, but that's certainly the big market where this is impacting because China is, you know, 72% of Argentina's exports and Argentina is the second largest supplier into China, following only Brazil. But let's just um, dive into that a bit more. So Argentina shipped about 110,000 tons to China in the first four months of the year, I have U.S. exports exceeding 40,000 tons. So keep in mind, that's up from less than 3,000 tons in the same period last year. So again, in this big market where um, it's, say, having the biggest impact because that is one country where there aren't really exceptions for Argentina's exports to continue, um, the read on the ground from Ming, who was in Shanghai for the Big Seal Show and our China Traders Club, of which, by the way, we had 900 people together for a, a big dinner, so there is no more COVID in China. Um, the read from the trade was that they're kind of going to wait this out. Um, 30 days is temporary. And so, again, Argentina accounts for about 22% of China's imports, but those importers were going to kind of hold pat uh, for now. Of course, it was driving up prices further, prices from other South American suppliers, so Brazil and Uruguay. Um, but for the U.S., again, we're, well, we've actually grown to nearly 4% of China's imports, and that's from less than 1% a year ago. But we're in that grain-fed uh, category. Looking at China's import data, prices for U.S. are more than double for Argentina. And that's kind of vague because it's mi- mixing all categories on a simple average. 
Uh, but it just tells you we're we're in a completely separate category of the Chinese market. One, two, we're already growing very fast, and we've kind of plateaued out on those weekly shipments. Although there were big sales reported um, in the latest data last Thursday, that would have happened before the Argentina news, and that was over 9,000 tons booked. Although the caveat with sales is always that that product could ship over many weeks and even months. But so China's. China's been red hot for grain-fed U.S. beef um, as we have surpassed Australia to be that largest supplier in what's still kind of a niche category. And then the other big market for Argentina versus U.S. is is Europe. And there are exceptions. So Argentina can still ship under their quotas. And so that applies for Europe. And that also applies for their exports into the U.S. But the, that quota export volumes is only about 7% of Argentina's exports. So it is a, a serious restriction, but you said it right in the beginning that it's um, not an outright ban, but restriction on their exports. We're talking with U.S. Meat Export Federation economist Aaron Bohr about the, the decision by Argentina to suspend most of their beef exports. So it sounds like, Aaron, uh, this isn't going to have a big impact on the U.S. one way or the other. Uh, it would seem that um, both beef producers and consumers in Argentina may be most affected by this, and and that would be in a negative way. Yeah, so unfortunately, these um, policies are always very short-sighted, and Argentina is also unfortunately in the throes of the pandemic, so they're in pretty significant lockdown and uh, really a terrible situation on both the human health side and economically. So we have to keep in mind that they've been essentially in recession prior to the pandemic. Um, inflation is rampant. The peso is devalued. So the official rates now something around 95 pesos to the dollar. It's maybe double that on the unofficial market. And then you compare that to trading in the range of about 20 pesos in the first half of 2018. So they've been through serious inflation. And this is you know, part of what's stemming this government action as well as this terrible situation on all fronts. And knowing that there are elections coming up later this year, they've been pushed back later in the year um, because of the pandemic. So it's a tough situation. And what we saw the last time there were major government interventions in the market going back to 2006, uh, the beef cow herd shrank by nearly 3 million head or about 14% in the following couple of years. And you saw beef exports, which were about 20% of production, drop to just 6%. And the herd had rebuilt. Exports had recovered to 25% of production. Um, But the consumers in Argentina, yes, have been consuming less. So per capita beef consumption within that country has fallen by about 25% compared to the the recent 08-09 peak. And at the same time, Chicken consumption has increased, although that's even plateaued out since about 2016. And then the the recent growth has also been in pork consumption, which is still relatively small, uh, but it's been growing since 2012. So um, Argentina still has relatively high per capita beef consumption compared to other parts of the world. You're looking at about 37 kilos in in product weight, which is significant. Um, But yeah, it's been shrinking and going back all the way well, as recently as 2006 to those most significant government interventions. And then there have been export taxes on and off. The government has been taxing exports at a rate of 9%, and that has 
been partially to try to offset this weak peso. Hmm. All right, so uh, we'll we'll continue to watch that. Meanwhile, I want to go back to something you said about our increase of business beef exports into China and how things are starting to get back to normal there where you're able to have person-to-person, face-to-face meetings again. Uh, What's your projection for what we could see here coming up as far as beef sales into China? Yeah, it's. I mean, even if we just maintain essentially what we've been doing year-to-date, That'll push our exports to somewhere around 120,000 tons, and you're looking at essentially over a billion-dollar market into China. And so it jumps right up there with, um, you know, the billion-dollar club with Japan and Korea. And it's, yeah, it's been incredible. Um, The food service business is rocking, and that's still the biggest customer for our product. Uh, we're also in modern retail, places like Sam's Club. There's just one Costco, but in Costco as well, and some higher-end supermarkets like City Super. Um, and just, I mean, the, our doors are getting knocked down for our staff in China. I know the same for companies here in the U.S. So everyone wants in the business, and, um, you know, the complaint is there's just not enough U.S. supplies, um, which goes back to, you know, needing China-eligible cattle as the first step, Um but it's not just a switch we can turn on and off, clearly, uh, even though the restrictions were dramatically reduced through the phase one agreement, and that's what you're seeing play out at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's been a, a pretty red-hot market and leading the growth in U.S. exports so far this year, along with Korea, which has continued to grow as well. And these other major markets in Asia, including Korea and Japan, Taiwan, they all see the, the offtake from China and and worry and try to get more U.S. beef kind of while they can because everyone, you know, knows the the buying power and the volume that China can take. Yeah, kind of a ripple effect. When China starts buying, and everyone else starts kind of scrambling to get uh, what they can because they know China can buy in such huge volume. So they're buying more than just U.S. grain. They're buying beef as well. That's uh, very interesting and certainly good news for our producers. Aaron, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Aaron Bohr, economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So, yeah, China buying our beef as well, and that, that's, that's a growing market for our beef producers. But the concerns now about what about our grain markets? They've cooled off. Is that going to last for a while? Is it just a brief uh, blip on the screen? A temporary lull, or is this a pattern, a trend that is settling in? We'll get some thoughts about all that with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst, coming up next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. 
Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Downtrends that began last week are extending into most crop markets this morning. U.S. crop conditions are mostly beneficial and Brazil losses seem to be old news. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading five and three quarters lower at 6.53 and a half cent. The September contract down 10 and three quarters at 5.62 and a half cent. For soybeans, the July contract down two and a half cent at 15.23 and three quarters. The August contract down four cents at four 1468 and a fraction. For wheat, Chicago wheat July down 12 and a half cent at 661 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat July down 11 cents at 613. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 15 and a fraction at 685 and a half cent. The September contract down 15 cents at 690 and three quarters. Friday's cattle on feed report held a few bearish surprises. The USDA estimated cattle on feed as of May 1st at 104.7 percent of last year. Placements during April were pegged at 127.2% of last year's pandemic-shortened numbers, and marketings were 132.8% of last year. Cattle on feed totaled 11.725 million head, which is 99.2% of 2019's on-feed number. Both the on-feed and placement numbers were larger than expected, while marketings were slightly below the average trade estimate. June live cattle on the Board of Trade down a dollar at 116.60. The August contract a dollar 27 lower at 119.65. Feeder cattle, the August contract down 30 at 153.40. The September contract down 27 at 154.62. In lean hog futures, the June contract $1.10 lower at 113.12. The July contract $1.07 lower at 115.47. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 218 points, the Nasdaq Composite up 194, the S&P 500 up 42. This is AOA. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. All right, Todd. I think I've asked you this before, but we ask it with a little bit more urgency now. Is the rally over in the markets? 
You know, I, I have to say, I think there's a good chance that the highs are in for old crop corn and soybeans. Now, uh, the footnote there, of course, is that weather can make us all look like fools. Uh, just a simple change here or there could really uh, disrupt things. But the way things look right now, that big bullish surge of demand that we had in late April, early May, uh, looks like uh, perhaps some of the, the needs got fulfilled there. And, and I just suspect that uh, commercials, uh, at least especially in the soybean side, we've seen the soybean basis really unravel since late April, and, and that makes me concerned that maybe the commercials have secured their needs for now, and I think we're just kind of floundering around trading the latest forecast. So let me go get that once more from you. You think yeah. that, that the highs are in, we've already seen them, for old crop corn and beans. I, I do. I do. And, uh, you know, uh, first of all, we, <laughs> we, I think just about everybody would agree that as far as the high level of prices go, they're certainly good candidates for being the highs of the year. Um, and so, that you know, it, it checks that box, definitely. The part about this equation we don't know, of course, is weather and China's demand. And it looks as if China still has a healthy appetite for both corn and beans, but uh, they don't seem to have that sense of strong urgency uh, that we've seen earlier. Well, we know there are many mouths to feed, and they're redoing their their swine industry and things like that in China. And as big as they are, it was not realistic to think we were going to see them keep buying big amounts every single day, right? That had to kind of slow down or stop after a while. Yeah, not certainly every day. But I will say in the bigger picture, Mike, uh, China does have a problem feeding themselves. And their corn production has been flat basically the last four to five years, while their demand, their need for corn as a feed grain has uh, increased fairly uh, aggressively. And uh, for the past four years, they've, they've come up short, uh, actually consuming more corn than they've been able to produce. So we didn't really catch on to that until last fall, uh, unfortunately, maybe a little, uh, quite a bit later than we would have uh, liked. But uh, that, that ongoing uh, inability of China to not be able to feed itself completely, I think, still has uh, a strong outlook for supporting a higher trading range in the year ahead. Yeah, they may have caught up with their needs for right now or their purchases for right now. That doesn't mean they're not going to be buying more in the future. We expect them to. It just could not keep up at that pace. Couldn't expect it to happen every day, right? Right. Uh, you know, four four 423 million bushels of new corn, I think, in six consecutive sessions. That That's uh, a pretty nice surge. And no, we, we, we wouldn't expect that to keep going much longer. Talking with DTN lead analyst uh, Todd Holtman. And Todd, I guess you talk about trading off the weather forecast. Now, we look at the crop planting numbers uh, continue to be strong, although we know there's some areas where they're still struggling to get the crop planted. In a lot of areas, the crop's up and looking good. So far, so good overall, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Uh, 90% of corn planted. And even in the places where they've had to replant some of the corn where they had colder temperatures and whatnot, we're still pretty early on the calendar. So uh, I, I don't see any problem in, in that regard. We don't seem to have a big, significant planting hurdle this year. And I think that will help USDA give us uh, a better uh, estimate 
when we get to that June 30 acreage reports because we don't have any major uh, weather issues that are making this difficult to to uh, imagine how things are going. Of course, by the time we get to that June 30th report, we may very well have a weather event to talk about, right? We'll see what June weather brings. Yeah, and, you know, seasonally, this is the time of year. It's usually about late May, early June, when corn normally puts in its high price for the year, and soybeans tend to follow about three to four weeks later. So we are in the time of year that's ripe uh, for the market to make its highs. And uh, as you say, uh, you know, we've got quite a bit more rain in the forecast just in the past uh, week or so. So considering the dry winter we had and the dry kind of planning start, which was good for planning, but uh, the the rain showing up now in the forecast is really a timely boost for most of the areas. So I guess after weeks of me asking how high could prices go, I now have to ask (laughs) you how low could prices go? Yeah, on that uh, event, you know, December corn is trading around 534 right now, the new crop contract. And uh, initially, I think we would look to see if it could stabilize at five. But I would guess in maybe the worst case scenario in terms of prices, but in other words, if we have good weather and the crop really looks good, I think maybe 450 should hold support on the downside. And that's still much better than we've seen you know the previous five years and again thanks to that larger impact of china's demand so with markets cooling off a bit now does you think that spurs um farmers to lock in prices or wait it out to see if they come back up well if they're if they're confident about their production if they're not in a serious drought situation or anything like that i certainly hope that they're uh, at least considering taking advantage of making some forward sales here of at least 25 or 50 percent. I wouldn't expect anybody to get too extended or, or too far out there in terms of predicting their production this early. But uh, this is certainly the time of the year to do it. And even uh, with the pullback in prices we have had, these are still some very good pricing opportunities. Because I keep going back to the 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 tight stocks that's what was really driving things for so long yeah that really hasn't changed has it no in the case of soybeans especially uh you know usda has been looking for 120 million bushels of ending stocks uh ever since february really we've been stuck uh, on that number with usda the exports basically are almost already uh, all accounted for. We're not that far off the, the estimate for the year already, and we have another three months to go in the season. Uh, crushed pace, we've seen crush slow uh, substantially in the most recent report from NOPA. Uh, but that, you know, that's to be expected when we get to these tight supply, high price situations. Demand is still trickling along. We, we haven't shut the door yet uh, on demand. So, <laughs> It, it remains a, a bit of a puzzle to me that we're seeing soybean meal prices fall to a new low today, uh, taking out the March low. Uh, that's That's been a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, and, and it's been a surprise to me to see the basis in soybeans uh, unravel the way it has since early April. But it just kind of lends to the idea that uh, I think commercials have done a good job finally of securing their needs and the, the urgency and demand just doesn't seem to be there right now. 
What about the big uh, spurt and the big explosion for soy oil and all the talk around renewable diesel and the growing demand there? Yes, uh, and soybean oil up again strong here on Tuesday and still really uh, being the main source of support for soybeans right now. You know, it, it's the plant oils that started this whole rally in 2020. They were the first sector to get the ball rolling, and it was largely due to pent-up demand for the edible oil uh, side of that equation. And then as we got uh, vaccine distribution going and some better COVID news, we got some help from the fuel oil side uh, of the soybean oil market. And uh, then with the new Biden administration and the effort on green and renewable and uh, all that sort of thing, there's been more talk about trying to get renewables and biodiesel in there. But I think there's a real practical impediment here that we don't have the surplus corn and beans available to substantially increase uh, the energy side of the biodiesel market right now. So I remain a little leery uh, about getting too over-optimistic um, on, on the uh, biodiesel hopes uh, for soybean oil, but certainly uh, that, that whole sector continues to show very strong demand. And, but I have to say, uh, the other day, soybean oil was up there around 70 cents, uh, and it, uh, that, that's the highest price we've seen since 2008, and we fell back from that. I, I, have to, I have to be a little leery that maybe we're getting close to a top up here. It's, it's been a nice long run, but, boy, 70 cents is really getting expensive. Well, it's not a time for the faint of heart, right? It's uh, have a good marketing plan and stick with it, right? Absolutely. This is still a buy low, sell high game, and you can't just ignore these high price opportunities. All right. Well, I tell you what, each week we talk, Todd, uh, things get more interesting, interesting going up and interesting coming down to try to figure out uh, where it's going to go next. Uh, Thanks for sorting through it for us. Thank you. Looking forward to a good summer. Yeah, it makes me wonder what it'll be like even just next week when we talk again. So we'll find out. (laughs) Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Okay, Mike. Thank you. DTN, lead analyst Todd Hultman. Yeah, interesting times with the markets. All right, coming up next, um, the EPA is still, we're still waiting for them to put out the final ruling for the RBO levels for the RFS for biofuels for this year and, and for next year. But there are reports out there that uh, when they do announce them, they're pretty much going to be right where they are now. Stay steady, unchanged. Good or bad news for the biodiesel industry? They've been calling for those numbers, those levels to be raised. So what will the reaction be if they're left as they are? We'll talk about that with Kurt Kavark with the National Biodiesel Board next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. 
At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today we're joined by Jason Schwantz, who leads Refined Fuels at CHS, to provide some insights on the latest updates and trends in the energy industry. Jason, as we all know, we've had some major disruptions in energy supply and demand over the past 18 months or so. How have those disruptions, you think, affected energy supplies on the farm? You know, uh, I think we've had this pandemic, which has really taken down the demand that everyone had and uh, really put actually a crimp on refiners because, you know, without that demand, they weren't able to run quite as strong as they probably would like. Uh, it was tough on them making some money, thus they throttled back. And if you look at the Midwest supplies, diesel fuel is actually running down on the low end in the Midwest, uh, really, really low supplies. I think if you look at the spring, though, uh, cooperatives and others have done a really, really nice job, and the grower probably won't see too many disruptions. How do renewable fuels factor into the supply-demand equation? I think if you look at renewable fuels, they're a nice complement to fuels. They provide some octane that's needed in gasoline. If you look at it, that's a really, really nice benefit. There's some RIN benefit that refiners can get out of there. Got to comply with the government and get these RINs. And I think the more they blend, you can get a little bit more there. I think it's a good deal for the farmers and for refiners there that they have a, an octane blend that they can help out with on the gasoline and, and really provide a benefit to rural America. All right, Jason Schwantz who leads refined fuels for CHS. Thanks for joining us Around the Table. To hear more from Jason and other CHS experts, join Around the Table Live, navigating energy policy and trends on May 
27th at noon central time. Learn more and register at cooperativeownership.com. To be the king of the road, you have to fill with the king of diesels. We're talking about Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Cenex Roadmaster XL even cleans up and prevents injector fouling to keep your trucks out of the shop and on the road. And typical number two diesel? That's always an option. The wrong option. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So while we wait for EPA to issue its final ruling on RVO levels for this year and next for the biofuels industry, there are reports out there that the, the announcement will be that they'll leave the levels pretty much the same as they are now. When I get reaction to that possibility from the National Biodiesel Board, because the biodiesel industry has been calling for their levels to be raised and frustrated that they haven't been higher in the past. So let's bring in Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So, Kurt, if the levels are left as they are, is that a disappointment to the biodiesel industry? Yes, good morning, Mike. It, it absolutely would be a disappointment to the biodiesel industry. Uh, as you as you mentioned in your intro, there uh, we've we've suffered a handful of years under previous EPAs in being late in setting the volumes and uh, holding them flat for for many years in a row, which doesn't do what Congress intended when they passed the law uh, back in 2007, and that was to grow the use of homegrown, renewable, uh, cleaner burning, less polluting uh, renewable fuels. So our our uh, communications with the EPA and this administration and with Congress is uh, this this president this Congress has placed a top priority on decarbonizing the economy uh, through through lower carbon fuels electrification etc um, our message has been that the RFS the renewable fuel standard exists to to uh, drive lower carbon fuels and it should be utilized in that manner so we would certainly be disappointed um, if they proposed put forth a proposal that that held volumes flat, it would it, that would run contrary to uh, their motivation when they say we're re-entering the Paris Climate Accords. We're proposing a two trillion dollar infrastructure plan that 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 uh, envisions decarbonization. Uh, I think our industry would seriously question seriously question their commitment to um, biofuels if they were to propose an RFS that uh, uh, holds volumes flat. You're waiting, in other words, you're waiting to see if the administration's actions will back up their words that we've heard so far. That's that's exactly right. And we, we recognize that uh, this administration has a lot on its plates, plate uh, in this space. In fact, they're, they're working on a proposal that was supposed to have been uh, completed by November 30th of last year. So they're already behind the curve. Uh, the other complicating factor is they've got a couple... Uh, court cases, one uh, most prominent in the Supreme Court that we anticipate a decision to be made on here come uh, June or July. So uh, unfortunately, this delay and uncertainty and, and rumors about volumes uh, does not do what what we would hope, and that is to provide certainty, forward-looking uh, uh, predictability 
for both feedstock producers and, and biofuel producers and our customers who are uh, uh, supporting the use of the fuel. So we would hope that EPA would be able to get this proposal done as quickly as possible. Um, you know, we had a couple weeks ago where Administrator Regan and Secretary Vilsack were, were in Iowa, hosted a roundtable with ag and biofuels industries where they touted the benefits of uh, ag-based climate solutions. So uh, we're hopeful that what they put forward in their proposal will be consistent with what they've uh, said publicly. Yeah, if they come out with uh, higher levels uh, required under the RFS, that really sends the signal to the industry, right, that the, um, that the, uh, the administration is going to back uh, biofuels and push them in their climate goals, and that really opens the door for the industry to, to take off, doesn't it? That's absolutely right, and uh, it, it's important to keep in mind that we're kind of at a bit of a turning point here with the Renewable Fuel Standard. At the, at, in 2022, much of the authority reverts from the statute that was that, that Congress enacted that was directed by the statute to the authority of the EPA. So this upcoming rulemaking and this proposal will send the signal, where does this EPA and this administration believe biofuels will head when it's under the direction of the, of the EPA? Are they going to send the signal that for the next 10 years or how many ever years uh, Biden is around that uh, they're going to grow volumes? Or are they going to be wishy-washy and and uh, be neutral on it, um, and and in favor of other sources of decarbonization like electrification? This this will be a, a perfect opportunity for them to set a long-term course for higher volumes of uh, soybean-based biodiesel, corn ethanol, and other biofuels. What are we seeing in the biodiesel industry now, as far as plants uh, reopening, uh, increasing? Is that going on, or are they waiting for this announcement? Where are we? Plants are plants are operating. It's a it's a challenging market right now, as as uh, we see high prices for commodities across the board. That's that's good for soybean farmers. It presents a little bit of a challenge for uh, biodiesel producers. But the fact of the matter is, as the economy comes back online now, as I think it is uh, post pandemic, we're going to see a, a lot of demand both for commodities and for fuel and and uh we're hopeful that that will lead to you know plants running full out uh and producing the fuel for for customers uh who are demanding it um we also have uh tax policy that's a, a bit uncertain and you'll see later today an announcement in congress there'll be reintroduction of a couple of uh, uh biodiesel tax incentives that will hopefully you know set the pattern for growth for the industry, provide some certainty, um, and help build out additional feedstocks and, and plants. I think at the end of the day, uh, nobody's sitting better right now than probably the soybean farmer in terms of uh, the demand for the commodity and, and for that soybean oil to be converted into low-carbon uh, biofuels. Yep. So a lot of anticipation to see what this announcement from EPA will be setting the levels uh, for the RFS for this year and next. All right. We'll be watching closely, Kurt. Thanks for the update. Glad to be with you, Mike. All right. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. As he said, uh, this is really at a tipping point here for the industry. Is the door going to swing open and uh, be all, you know, all go here forward or is it going to be kind of held back kept in place or the levels going to stay the same 
what will these tax policies be? I mean, it, it could go either way. So we're, we're going to watch closely, but there's a lot of anticipation. All right, coming up tomorrow, we're going to learn about more about this uh, court ruling that could have a negative impact on small pork producers, and we'll learn about a consumer campaign touting the benefits of biofuels. That's coming up tomorrow. Join us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.